Hi everyone, welcome to Frankly, the energy podcast for founders. I'm your host, Siobhan Clark, where I'll be dealing it straight to you from entrepreneurs who have scaled and failed, investors who are passionate and seen it all, and leading tech voices that are looking to build moonshots to change the way we live. I'm pretty excited here on Frankly about what we're about to share because it is one of the most incredible people that I have ever worked with and will hopefully get a chance to work with in the future. On the back of our last episode of Frankly, where we covered off is Revue Everybody's Issue and had an incredible conversation with a couple of experts in the field, along with our growth partner, Richard Jones. As a close follow-up to that podcast, we thought we'd kind of make a little bit of a directional change and say, well, if Revenue is everybody's issue, at what point do you start enabling the processes at what point do you start enabling for scale so for today i've got somebody really interesting and we'll allow him to introduce himself in a moment i've got somebody really interesting on here he's going to talk about the very early stages of scaling your company and those very early stages means how do you get to your first 10 enterprise customers so before i go any further let me introduce andreas andreas Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, hey, Siobhan and, and all of our production team. Thank you for having me over. And hi to everyone who is listening to the podcast. I'm an engineer with training, turned to founder, trying to solve my own problems. Our company called Aimbrain, we had a very simple hypothesis. If you think about all the things around you, computers, internet, cars, they are fundamentally built to facilitate or accelerate your goal. Fundamentally, they work for you. But when you start touching the topic of identity, suddenly you are considered as a threat until proven otherwise. In other words, you work for the website service when you're logging in or, you know, or on a laptop, you open to prove that you are who you say you are. And that should not be the case because you yourself are, are unique. If you look at, you know, at our social interactions, you don't need to show your passport to your friends, they recognize you by your face, by your voice, if it's a call. And, you know, we can easily tell you if something is wrong with, with you by your behavior, or even if someone else is chatting on behalf of them, we, we can pretty easily discover that it's not you. So at Aimbrain, we work primarily with financial institutions, banks, credit card companies to reduce their fraud while improving the user experience. And we did that by offering a, what we call biometric identity as a service platform. It had three modules, facial voice, and behavioral. Thank you, Sherman. Back to you. It sounds like it is one of those businesses that's extremely complicated and yet extremely simple at the same time. So what I'm hearing from you is a couple of aspects. So one, it was about reducing fraud while increasing the customer experience. So in some ways, your customers were very large financial institutions. It was large companies, large enterprise customers that would be interested in this kind of service. And this is in some ways how we got connected, isn't it? Because you have been working with this customer base. For anybody who is starting out in an early stage business, the first thing you do is you've got to look for that value exchange. You've got to figure out some way of being able to connect into the business. And this is the point in the podcast where we in some ways give the game away because this how do you get to your first 10 enterprise customers is actually a book that you and I have written together over the last year explaining a little bit about the lessons kind of learned, um, both from a combination of 
some background for myself, some of the startups and, and scale-ups that I've worked with, and a little bit from your direct experience of going through this journey of getting to the first-hand enterprise customers, which sounds incredibly simple to say, which is like a lot of our frankly podcast. Lots of things sound very simple to say, to say, but underneath the surface, it's actually quite complicated to deal with. So before we start to get into some of the framework of the book of the how do you get to your 10 enterprise customers and some of the things that we learned, maybe tell us a little bit about you and I have known each other for a while. Let's kind of maybe share a little bit with the audience how we're connected and how we know each other. So we met way, way back, couple years into the company through episode one, one of our investors and you know, who I regard in one of the top London VCs. And at this stage, uh, we had really solid sales team. We had a head of sales, all of that. And we had a pipeline, but it was just not converting. And if memory serves me well, um, I was chatting with Paul, our board member, looking back probably too much because it became our usual theme for Friday 6 you know, PM chats. But at some point, he just probably wanted to get rid of me. So he introduced me to you um, as someone he respected highly in terms of sales execution. But where I think the magic really happened, then you shared a dog with me where you put all your thoughts of how you think about sales, you know, based on your previous experience collected uh, through your uh, career. But the beauty of a document, especially to me as an engineer, was that the journey of, of getting to your customers that you outlined was very, very process driven. Something that one could actually follow and implement rather than, you know, read feel inspired and not know what to do as a next immediate step, which is also exactly how we cover it in our book, actionable to the point, getting things done. And I actually even remember you coaching us on the process by actually joining a few meetings with our customers, <laughs> good times. It took me a while, but having gone through the process, it was actually only after I read your document and only after I tried the process a couple of times, I really understood that there's a huge difference between sales and business development what i thought you know i should just do sales and then everything else will align in place and it could not be further from the truth the rest is history <laughs> the rest well it's some kind of history we're creating it so the, um... we're still talking so it's not too bad <laughs> yeah, exactly so we'll i'll come back to this point about you know what what is the real difference between sales and business development but you you're bringing me even back to some memories as well because i remember some incredible customer interviews the playbook or the go-to-market playbook and i think that's one of the things that we consider in launchpad as well is about how do we ensure that we're learning from the shoulders of giants so those that have gone before how do we kind of learn those lessons to help accelerate development which is 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 just so 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 important and i do remember the customer interviews and maybe we'll come on to that as part of the the process that we we're in i was a little bit pedantic with you about there's a certain formula that we follow and if you remember we would come out of the customer interviews and i forced us into a 15 minute download immediately afterwards no getting on tube no stopping for coffee 
what have we actually kind of learned? Because that was the moment when we were experiencing the true ahas and collections rather than something that was later on. But I do, I do remember a few of those conversations in, in strange bars and um, weird pieces of streets across London to be able to go the ultimate stand-up conversation. <laughs> Definitely. And, and, and one thing I do remember is that, you know, I always think that you're given two ears and one mouth. And in, in meetings, you know, you really, really need to listen and talk as little as you can get away with to progress the conversation and then just note everything down because memory is a funny thing. You will start, you know, uh, things you heard, you will start twisting them to fit your narrative to what you would want to hear as a founder rather than what you're actually being told. And this is a really interesting point, and I will come back to this business development and sales because what I note is that the book is set up in, in three acts. So the first one really describes this idea of business development and its process. The second act seems to be about, you know, how do you make that flywheel or that process go faster? So what are the techniques to achieve in that? And you, you've just called out one of those techniques in terms of consider listening more because <laughs> you'll actually kind of hear different things than having your own assumptive bias moving into it. And then there's a third act, but I think we'll wait until the end of the podcast before we go into a little bit more about what, what was that third act all about. So if we jump right back to the first act, and you know this is all centered on this book, the Founder Handbook, how do you get to your first 10 enterprise customers? The first section outlines and, and centers around business development and business development versus sales. Tell us a little bit more about that, the business development cycle, how you see that, and why, why is it different from sales? Yeah, so business development to me is an iterative process all about understanding and validating your target customers, their problems, and your solution. Basically, the what and where. Sales, uh, on the other hand, are all about taking that business development defined process and scaling it. And you know, uh, it, it Im immediately comes to my mind, Paul Graham's essay, do things that don't scale, that I think fits this topic extremely well. And you know, that's exactly what we focus on in the book, literally taking the first steps and process of getting to your first 10 enterprise customers. And then we also touch in the end how you prepare to scale. There are how many steps in that first business development cycle? Um, walk us through just at a high level what those four are for some of our listeners if they don't get a chance to buy the book, which obviously they should, but uh, <laughs> if they don't get a chance to kind of go there, give us a little teaser about what are the four main steps that you should can kind of consider in your mind. The way I think about business is as being its own ecosystem, right? And the business has many internal moving parts that make the whole of it work. When you think about business, it, it goes in cycle. And that's what we call in, in our book, a business flywheel. What comes again and again is that all those internal parts are very interconnected. And what's moreover, all of them actually depend on each other. So if you pick any part of a business flywheel and trace what it depends on and what it enables, you will eventually travel a full cycle exactly where you started from. If you take an example, you know, business development, everyone will agree part of your business, business development, who your customers are, what's your market, what your customer pain points. Business development enables you to create a product, enables you, uh, you to engineer it, uh, you define how you're going to build it and what you're going to build it. 
which will enable marketing and sales. You know, how are you reaching out to customers? What is your sales process? How are you going to scale it? What's your product market? That in its own, hopefully brings customers, which will then enable deliver and support and services. You know, how do you deliver? How do you support a product to, again, solve customer pain points? And that in itself, at some point, uh, you will reach uh, what we call research and innovation state, where you really start looking, what's the next thing? How can we improve solving the pain points even better? which again will bring it to business development. Is our approach actually good? Do we do customers have a problem they have? Do we really need that improvement? And the whole cycle starts again. This is why it's business flywheel. Again, I'm going to go back a lot into cyclicity of, of, of business and, and pain points, right? Because business cannot exist without solving an actual pain, right? That the customers are willing, willing to pay for. And each of the process in the business flywheel can further be broken down. And what we really, really explore in depth in our book is breaking down the business development flywheel or, or the cycle. What is fascinating is that it's again, you discover that if you start at any point, you will eventually reach the same exact point. So for example, if you start with the hypothesis, so what do you think the problem is? Uh, you know, who do you think has the problem? You know, what do you think value your solution brings? Then you go to testing the problem, right? Do our, cast, our customers actually aware that we have a problem, how big the problem is, uh, you know, exactly where the problem is. Then you go to test the solution, right? Does your approach solve the problem? Because, you know, would you argue that social, social networks uh, compete with emails? I probably would not have argued in the beginning, but if you look at the grand scale, it's connecting people. So you can extend that, right? And there are many solutions to connecting people. And then, you know, fourth step, uh, Siobhan, you mentioned is adapting or dying, right? Everything in nature needs to adapt or it just goes extinct, right? So what have you learned about your hypothesis? Are you still aligned with your initial goals? Which again, brings back to step one, you either adapt the hypothesis and continue. It's, it's constantly iter iterative process. And you said quite a lot there, Andreas. So I just want to make sure that I repeat back so that it, there's a level of clarity on this. We've got a business development flywheel, right? Or this business, it is the business development flywheel I want to focus on. You kind of like this four kind of steps and everything is about getting to this value exchange. Everything is about this very engineered framework approach to getting to understand what is the value achieved from solving the particular problem that an enterprise kind of customer has in this context. So you said, step one, create your hypothesis. So decide what you're attempting to try and solve. Step two, test the problem. So test kind of the, the size of it, the extent of it, how that kind of looks. Three, test the solution. Test multiple solutions, test your solution. Try and understand where you are bringing the most value for the company that you are choosing to scale today. And number four, adapt or die. Constant evolution, as you said, mm -hmm. the cyclical kind of process. So I, I mean, I have seen, you know, Shark, kind of having co-authored the book with you, we've written down a number of sections about what does it mean around each one of those four areas and, and what you do. But before we kind of come into Act A, you know, we've given a super high level overview to those, those first four areas of the business development cycle. What's 
maybe one of the key lessons or key takeaways for you or, or you know, through your in-brain experience or that you've observed through connections with other founders, what's one of the key takeaways or one of the big areas that you see that people fall down on in those, in those four? That's a good question. So I guess a couple immediate points come to, to, to my mind, right, is that the value that your product creates, it's not necessarily the value that your customer perceives. And then you have an option. Do you either adjust how you position your product? Do you change the product? But I guess one, one other thing is that I always have a saying is that if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go with the team. And, and what I mean by that is starting the flywheel, validating the problem, getting initial interest in defining the product, you know, mostly depends on the share brute force grit of the founders. In order to scale that, you will need to put process, define execution tools, and actually enable your team to do that. So that was, again, one of the lessons I learned is that you as a founder, you do the initial sales. You must do initial sales yourself to even understand how they look, how the whole pipeline looks, uh, funnel, you know, what are the triggering events, keywords, just understand the industry, frankly. But then your job slightly shifts from no longer leading the sales, but enabling other people to execute sales. There's so much insight into that. So, well, it is, it's true. It is true. Um, go fast, go long, go further have the team and be one collective kind of moving that forward. And if you're scaling companies, it is all about the ability for the team to buy into the same component. In fact, it's all about the vision or the value exchange that the customers are buying into on your product as well. And this constant cycle of adapting to that learning, to that understanding of that customer base and the insights that the team can kind of bring to it. And you alluded to this idea of if you want to go further, go with the team and, and this idea of going faster as well. The, the second part of the book digs into a little bit more of a couple of experiences of how to go faster. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in there around raising your first round, around sales incentives, interestingly named chapter around making new friends. Outline to us, you know, any of the, the, the main concepts or main ideas that are you know, an audience or a founder would really be interested in. Again, if they haven't had a chance to kind of read through the book, what's the what's the key takeaways? Ooh, I think there are many key takeaways, right? But um, zooming out, right, it takes a huge amount of energy to start the flywheel, but it also takes a lot of energy to actually keep it going because you have more still stakeholders that you need to keep aligned. And as the flywheel gets bigger, all you know, imperfections and efficiencies do come out. So we really talk, you know, in, in our book a lot about understanding market size, right? So fine, you found a problem, you found, found a solution, you found, uh, you know, how we can solve it. But does it align with what you really want to achieve, right? Do you want to fundraise? Do you want to have a bit more of a lifestyle business? So really understanding that what investors are looking in terms of market sizing, right? We also cover most common enterprise contract pitfalls, right? And um, there are things you would not expect how they will impact you, you know, down the road. It could be impacting when, you need, when your renewal comes, or it could be impacting you all the way when you're getting, you know, acquired or you're listing your company on a stock exchange. So really, you know, thinking about intellectual property, thinking about clauses, um, 
thinking about how to negotiate your pricing, you know, what to pay attention to, what's a bit of a vanity metric. We also talk about, you know, how do you actually know that your company is doing well? All businesses are extremely unique. There's no set table of, you know, if you meet this number, you're success. If you're below, you're not success. So really trying to understand what product market fit means for you, specifically in your circumstances, specifically in your market, and how can you improve that? And right? how can you lower your churn, increase your revenue, all of that. Also, we touch on, on in my opinion, extremely important topic around company and sales culture, right? So like I mentioned, keeping everyone aligned becomes harder as you scale. That's the job of a culture, right? So how can you align everyone internally, but also make all your external people you're interacting with your customers, advisors, making, you know, feel them like everyone's a winner, mostly, mostly around those. Really fascinating, Andreas, about what you're, what you're saying. I mean, there is, it seems as if there are a number of different areas that can actually make that business development flywheel go faster. And there are a couple of standouts for me in, in what we've written or what we're sharing. The first one is around this, the pitfalls of negotiating your first contract. That, that is hidden sauce. And certainly some of the early reviews of the book have been, that's one of the key things that, that the founders have loved. Whoa, I didn't really think about that. The second one was also this idea of kind of vanity metrics. And, and vanity metrics is kind of connected into egos, which is not actually um, about listening. It's more about making it about yourself in some way. And I want to lead that into this third section of the book, or, or even in some ways, the name. The name of the book is the Founder's Handbook, right? It's mm -hmm. the Founder's Handbook. You talked about founders, you talked about the team, but let's say you're a sales lead coming in to join a Series A company. Let's say you're coming into a corporate environment, you're setting up an entirely new division within there. And is what we're setting out even relevant to those type of people profiles? If we go back to the concept of business flywheel or, or, you know, business being a cycle, when you really think about it, no matter how large your company already is, no matter what product suite you have or how many sales you know, people headcount you have, or like you mentioned, starting a new branch, you will release a new product. You will try to enter a new market. You will target new customers just because you want to grow. And, you know, guess what? Same exact process applies. Before you can get to your 100 customers, 100th customer, you need to find your first 10 customers. And this goes back to really what founders do establishing processes that you didn't have any before. And that's actually the main motivator for writing the Founder's Handbook is, is taking all the hard lessons that you wasted energy on, resources on, time on, structuring them in a process, writing it down into something that we ourselves could pick up and applying it again in the future. That's the really exciting thing for me. As we talked um, a little while ago, it's the standing on shoulders of giants. It's, it's learning from those that before, but taking that practicality and those frameworks and applying them, as you said, you know, each business is unique. Each customer set is unique. So how do you take a process and engineer that in order to be able to just get there quicker so that you can get further plus quicker with the team and the broader kind of like stakeholder base, if you want, including those customers. I am intrigued by this idea of the founder's handbook, how to get to your first 10 enterprise customers, 
this boob collage all that I it's a really nice kind of fit to um the idea of scaling and different stages of scaling that we we're talking about in the in the previous frankly podcast but I am intrigued Andreas am I in some ways asking you the question but I don't know if I should be asking myself the question why have we called it the finder's handbook is there only going to be one of these is there more what's the um what 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 happens next well, next scaling, right? Naturally, that probably is a theme for another book on preparing you for a scale and more specifically preparing you for series A, cultivating founder minds, uh, understanding recruiting, you know, what motivates people, how to be customer centric, you know, refining your sales, sales process and then trying to understand or, or, or share what investors are looking from you to see from from your company what kind of goals you need to have you know just just like in in business development versus sales founder mindset is all about establishing processes there none before and then you have a scale stage where you usually have a ceo and trying to scale it sometimes it's the same person sometimes it's, it's not but i i think you're much better position to comment you know given your experience in, in leading sales at huge brands scaling and sales and i have a history of uh, working with sales teams large ones at cisco incredible incredible kind of place as well had the privilege to work with some finders mindset people creating processes where there were ones before and the engineers the creatives the marketeers that were then taking that and then taking that to a global scale when you're dealing with 17,000 salespeople across 100, 130 plus countries and you're looking at sales compensation across that, it is a different problem that you're trying to solve from a sales kind of operation standpoint. And that's pretty exciting because it means that you can take something that is from first 10 enterprise customers and know that within five years, realistically, within five years, you can be sat there IPO and have 10,000 and be a thousand enterprise customers and then 10,000 from medium sized, et cetera, as the elephant steers. And, mm. and I think it's the mice that we kind of talk about a little bit, but I think that's incredible, right? It's incredible to think that you could sit here today and you could start a business development cycle, use the flywheel, use the framework that's in here. And within six months time within five years time we'll be in a completely different place and yeah absolutely and you know actually this reminds me of one of the lessons i guess you shouldn't hold out for a hero right fundamentally you are driving the story you will need to go out and start all those processes all those flywheels set them in moment in, mo in motion once you scale you will know you will know when it's right to start bringing external help, getting the extremely good people at the very wrong time in, of my company's journey. And, you know, really trying to, to start flying before we could even walk. Nothing wrong with that, as long as you've got a secure engine and a good kind of flight out on that one. Being bold is important when you're doing <laughs> impossible things. Andreas, it's been pretty incredible to talk to you. You know, I've, I've had the real privilege to work along with you. For any of our listeners out there, at the moment, Andreas is visibly laughing at this. I'm sure there are some stories behind it, but it has been a real privilege and it's also a real privilege to co-author this book with you to share those learnings and to share with others 
So it's not just about the Launchpad portfolio, it's actually about sharing with other kind of founders and, and just the wider community out there. Tell us now, we've been talking about this book, we've been talking about those ideas. How can somebody get hold of it? Yeah, so we, we have a website, vfounderhandbook.org. We are also releasing digital Kindle copy and paperback on Amazon. But probably audiobook to come. I'm blinking at Siobhan right now for listeners. I am sure. On that note, thank you very much, Andreas. I'm sure we will get many chances to collaborate and work together in the future. This brings us to another close for an exciting episode of Frankway. Um, we've had the last two covering revenue and getting to the first 10 enterprise customers. It'll be really interesting to see.